Well, g'day everyone. Lovely to see you this morning and uh, again a big welcome to you if you're joining us at home on uh, our live stream. It's lovely that you can connect with us that way. Do be in touch. Uh, it's tricky in these times to know who's who and who's where, especially you know, even when you're in the room, everyone's face is covered. It's a little bit tricky to know our true identities. Thankfully, we're secure in Christ. Um, but uh, do be in touch. Send us a message on Facebook or YouTube or uh, send us an email at church or a text. Make sure we keep uh, being in touch as some of our regular rhythms of church life are still in a holding pattern. Uh, a great big welcome to you if you're just visiting us online or here this morning. My name's Ben Graham, the minister of the church here in Petersham. We're about to spend some time thinking about those two verses of Romans chapter 12. Uh, why don't we pray and we'll ask God to be with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not leaving us alone and lost in the darkness of this world and in the darkness of our own sin, but for sending the Lord Jesus to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and to bring us into your kingdom, the kingdom of light and life. We pray this morning that as we hear from you in your word and think about it together, uh, that you would be at work by your spirit uh, in order that we might know your good, pleasing and perfect will and that we would live it. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I had a friend some years ago who had worked out that um, uh, where all the best pub trivia contests were in Sydney and he had worked out that worst case scenario he could win himself a pub meal every night of the week and so he would just travel around after work around Sydney uh, each night of the week, win a pub trivia contest and get the free meal. Uh, he was remarkable when it came to trivia, he knew the licence plate of every person in our church. Uh, it was a, a remarkable thing, but this is the reality. When he would go to this pub trivia contest and reveal to the world that Coca-Cola's original colour was green or that the Afghan uh, is the dumbest dog in the world or that the parachute was invented by Leonardo da Vinci in 1515 or that the only bird that can fly backwards is the hummingbird, that's all well and good to win a pub meal for the night, but it doesn't exactly change your life, does it? When he'd go back to work for the Navy the next day, uh, he wasn't radically transformed by the news, the knowledge, the truth that the hummingbird flies backwards sometimes, right? And I think there's a danger sometimes that we can think that the Christian life is a little bit like that. We come to church on Sunday, it's a bit like a pub trivia contest. We hear some information that's, you know, enjoyable, maybe a little bit informative or inspiring, but when we go to work the next day, has anything really changed? I want to suggest today, actually, uh, from God's Word, that the good news of the Lord Jesus is anything but a pub trivia contest. That is radically transforming news. It's radically transforming truth that can't help but change the way you eat your breakfast on Monday morning, the way that you view your colleagues when you get to work, the way you treat your spouse and your children at home, or the way that you make your decisions and plan your week and budget your money. There is nothing more transforming than the good news of God's saving grace in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Today is the 24th Sunday that we've been in the Book of Romans. A big chunk of it last year and now again this year and we've got eight Sundays to go. Uh, in these last eight Sundays of our time in the Book of Romans, it's all about the way that those first 24 Sundays and the amazing news of God's grace in Jesus and his overwhelming mercy to us who only deserved to be condemned and lost in hell forever, his amazing grace to us in Jesus radically transforms the way that we live, the way that we view the world and the way that we view each other. And that's what we're going to look at over the next eight Sundays and over the banner of the next eight Sundays and that transformed life that the amazing grace of God in Jesus brings is verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. This is like the the headline banner that's going to reside over the next eight weeks. And so, in a sense, the next eight weeks is going to explain what he means, the Apostle Paul, when he says to us in verse 1 of chapter 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Um... That's going to get explained for us in all kinds of different ways as we head through the remaining chapters of the book of Romans, as we find out what it looks like to meet our world and submit to our government and love our neighbour and care for the weak and the vulnerable and how we view sexuality and use our bodies and how we show hospitality and love those around us. Uh, This is where the rubber really does hit the road where we're reminded again that the grace of God in Jesus is not just some inspiring piece of information that might warm our hearts on Sunday, but doesn't impact the rest of our lives. The grace of God in Jesus radically transforms the way we view God, ourselves, the world, one another. And it's going to be wonderful to spend the next two months digging into that together but for today we're just looking at this banner headline of chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 and if you're taking notes or playing along at home here are my two points point one is verse one point two is verse two profound I know I spent my whole week working that out Uh, what I want you to do with verses one and two is to maybe write them down on a piece of paper and stick them in your pocket or on your phone and throughout this next week, why don't you try and read them ten times a day? When you're walking somewhere without bumping into someone, um, maybe listen to them in the car or on the train. Memorise them because they're going to be a banner headline over the next eight weeks but really they're a banner headline over the, the rest of our lives. This is who we are meant to be in response to God's mercy towards us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, If we miss verses 1 and 2 and the reality of this transformed life and its motivation and its basis, I think the Christian life becomes empty of joy and becomes an empty shell of just going through the motions. The, ver- the, the word therefore at the start of chapter 12 
uh, connects everything that we're going to be thinking about over the next eight weeks to what Paul has said in the first 11 chapters, urging his brothers and sisters about living out this transformed life, how we face the world and each other. It is in view of God's mercy. And God's, in view of God's mercy, it's like the, the tip of the iceberg, and chapters 1 to 11 is the iceberg uh, that explains what he means about the enormous grace of God and his merciful love to us in the Lord Jesus. Can I say, if you've, if you've just dipped in with us today into chapter 12, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm praying that it's helpful and life-changing for you, but if you don't know what's in chapters 1 to 11 in the book of Romans, here's a great project for you, to sit down with a whole bunch of coffees over the next few weeks and read chapters 1 to 11. Even better would be to do that with someone else, someone who's read it before and can kind of walk with you through it. And if you're thinking, that sounds good, a coffee and walk through the book of Romans over the next couple of months or something, but you don't know who to do that with, talk to me afterwards and we'll find someone. If it's not me, it'll be someone else. We can find lots of people in this church who love to sit down with a coffee or whatever you like to drink and to read God's Word together. Because here's one of the things that we can do uh, as we spend so much of our time trying to work out what we can't do, we definitely can sit down and read the Bible together at one and a half metres and all the rest. If you'd like to do that over the next couple of months, to see the iceberg underneath that great phrase of what is God's mercy to us in Jesus, do come and talk to me and read the book of Romans. Uh, Paul is urging us as our big brother in the gospel. He's not shaking his finger at us or wanting to guilt trip us. He's not the drill sergeant who's yelling at us to pull our socks up and to shine our shoes. He's our big brother who's urging us, in view of God's mercy, to be who we are, to live out the changed life that Jesus has given us. And it's all in view of God's mercy. God's mercy to a world that is in rebellion against him and hostile to his love. God's mercy that brought the gift of righteousness, a right standing with him that's by faith and not by our performance. God's mercy that lifts the infinite weight of our sin from our shoulders and defeats the unstoppable power of death through the substitutionary and sacrificial death of his son in our place. God's mercy that counts us as his children and gives us his spirit. God's mercy that pronounces to us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and God's mercy that sovereignly extends to all nations and creates a people who were not his people, a family where there was no family and children where there were once enemies. God's mercy, which is extraordinary and vast and deep and amazing. We're reminded of chapter 8 where Paul says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and there's no separation from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt in life and there's no fear in death. That is the power of Christ in us. So we're not driven by the fear of our future and we're not driven by the guilt of our failures. Because Jesus has taken the guilt of our failures 
upon himself in his death on the cross. There's no condemnation. And Jesus has removed the fear of death and an uncertain future and has given us his spirit. There's no separation. And so the Christian life is not driven by guilt. I need to make up for what I've failed to do. And it's not driven by fear. I I don't know what's going to happen and how do I make sure that I'm right with God because those things are secure and certain in the Lord Jesus and trusting in him. The Christian life is one that's driven by God's mercy. It's driven by his grace which is liberating. You don't need to be driven by the guilt of your past failures. You don't need to be driven by the fear of your uncertain future. Jesus has sorted those two things completely. And so his overwhelming grace to you in giving you forgiveness and a status as adopted sons and daughters with a certain future, with a dealt with past, means that it's just his kindness and his love and his mercy to you That is the thing that can drive you forward in obedience, in wanting to live his way, in wanting to offer your whole body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Which is why when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, he says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. It's light because living his way is driven by grace, not guilt. It's a life of freedom, not of fear. And so at each point over the next eight weeks, when Paul talks about how you view your neighbours and your family as he commands us to show hospitality and persevere through suffering and to give your money and to serve your community and to pay your taxes and to think rightly about sex. We need to keep remembering it's not guilt, it's not fear, it's grace. It's grace. His burden is light. It's all in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is a funny word that makes us think of a building that looks a lot like this, uh, where you come to go about religious rituals and ceremonies, uh, where you perform certain duties. Or it might be that you associate worship with the emotional atmosphere that maybe really good music creates or something like that. Worship in the Bible is about giving God what he is worth. Asking the question, not what do I need to do, but what does Jesus deserve? And the answer isn't he deserves me to have a, a, a moment on a Sunday morning or to perform a certain ritual throughout the week, but what does Jesus deserve? What is God's worth? Give given his grace it's my whole body my whole self my whole life as a living
sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This kind of sacrificial temple language immediately makes us think of the Old Testament and the the sacrifices that God's people were meant to make. There's different kinds of sacrifices and sacrifices often had multiple kind of reference points. Uh, Back in chapter 3, Paul has told us that Jesus is the once and for all time sacrifice who takes away our sin, who atones for our sin and propitiates, he turns aside God's wrath. So sin and wrath have been dealt with in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. And so the kind of sacrifice that Paul has on view here is not one that we're seeking to to make in order to deal with our sin or to turn aside God's wrath. It's the kind of sacrifice that would happen in the Old Testament where you'd give a thanksgiving offering or a burnt offering that's meant to be an aroma that's pleasing to God. And when you come to the altar to burn your sacrifice, to have the aroma that would symbolically go up to God as a, as a pleasing sacrifice to him, what was it that God was seeking was not the actual burning of the animal, it was the giving of yourself, it was the dedicating of your, yourself to him. But what do we hear in the Old Testament time and time and time again? That even where God's people would remember to do the sacrifice... They would perform the ritual, but their hearts would be far from him. And what Paul is saying here is that in view of God's mercy, you are to offer your whole self to God in dedication to him because of what he deserves and what he's worth. Not a small part, not a hat tip in the right direction, not an hour on Sunday or 10% of your income. All those good and right things that maybe we, we keep doing. But God's not saying, I just want a piece of your time, a, a piece of your treasure, a piece of your talents. He says, what you bring to me in response to my mercy as a free gift of gratitude a response of thanksgiving is your whole self. There's no square inch of your life, no cell of your body that doesn't belong to him, that he doesn't deserve to be given, that he doesn't deserve to be dedicated to. It's not one hair on your head that he doesn't redeem and transform by his grace, for his glory. All that you have and all that you are ought to be brought under his loving, merciful rule and directed for his glory. That is your true and proper worship. I was trying to think of an illustration of what this is maybe a little bit like. Uh, and the one that I thought of walking the Coogee to Bondi walk on Thursday was it's of marriage, right? And the Bible often talks about our relationship to Jesus like marriage. Uh, that when, I, when you marry someone, there aren't little bits of your life that aren't married, <laughs> right? So Sarah and I on Thursday morning, we woke up, we're at home, we're married, she went to work and I went to walk Kuji to Bondi with the dog. We didn't cease to be married for a section of that day, 
And so what does that look like? How do I express my marriage to Sarah as I'm walking the dog at Coogee to Bondi? You might think, oh, you don't, right? That's just a moment I get to enjoy the sunshine and breathe the air, and it was lovely. But as I'm walking, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, actually, my marriage to Sarah continues to shape who I am. Though she's at work and I'm here, and it's not that I walk around with a sign and start yelling at people, telling them that I'm married to Sarah or whatever, but I continue to think about her, and I checked in with her as we were walking. I sent her a picture of me and the dog because I wanted her to, to know that we were thinking of her. When I go to the, to the shop to buy lunch, I'm making that financial decision still in reference to our money together and how does this impact our partnership in family life and when I'm looking at other people, the fact that I'm married to her shapes how I view them. And it's maybe a little bit like that with our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Giving our whole life to him in view of his mercy. You might think, how do I do that when I walk into the office in the morning? Well, it's checking in with him as you start the day and praying and listening to his word in order that that might influence and shape the way that you view people. And when you view people, you view them through the lens of his grace and his love. And as you respond to your boss and as you do your work, as you think about not being quick to speak, but quick to listen, as you think about not getting angry, but being patient, as you think about working faithfully and and doing what you've said you're going to do, as you think about the things that you're going to invest in and the purchases that you're going to make and how that impacts your giving to CMS and our link missionaries, that it begins to, to, it it should shape and, and guide and govern all that you are and all that you have and all that you do not driven by guilt and not driven by fear, but driven by his grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus. Offering your whole body to him, your whole self, holy, different, set apart for him to live his way, to reflect his goodness and his grace to the world. Um, C.T. Studd uh, was a great Christian missionary but also got to play in the first ever Ashes Test. He was playing for England but that's okay. Um, C.T. Studd wrote, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice that I make for him can be too great. place our whole life in his hands and at his disposal for his glory and the good of those around us in holiness pleasing to him that is our true and proper worship John Stott beautifully writes this means that our feet will walk in his paths our lips will speak of his truth 
Our tongues will bring healing to the world. Our hands will lift up those who who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks of cooking and cleaning and typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed and our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God in view of his mercy. How are we going to do that? How does that kind of life come about? Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. J.B. Phillips translated this verse, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remould your mind from within. It's this picture of not being outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. Remember, thinking about the world as uh, the world that is in uh, rebellion against God, the world that is running headlong away from God and His purposes. Don't be conformed to the mould of this world and its decisions and its desires. Don't be conformed in your outward behaviour to the pattern of this world. Be transformed from the inside out. Be transformed from the inside out. Offering your body and life in worship to God comes from a changed mind. The mind being the control centre of your whole body, the place where your options are weighed and your emotions are assessed and your decisions are finalised and your actions determined, right? The control centre of your very being needs to be transformed inwardly Christian life isn't about behaviour modification just outwardly only. It's about transformed lives that go from the inside out. And you are transformed in your life by the renewing of your mind, by God's word and spirit, in order that you might test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. We're going to hear lots more about what that's going to look like to live this transformed life. But the only way our mind will be transformed, the control centre of our life, taken hold of by the gospel of God's grace, is if we're meditating regularly and deeply and consistently in community, on God's word, prayerfully dependent on his spirit, that as we go out into the world to offer our whole lives to him in our proper and right worship because of his grace the only way we're going to engage our world and each other through the lens of his grace and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus is if our minds have been transformed and renewed by the good news of his word and by the power of his spirit. Let me pray that we might do that. 
And may that be true for us more and more as we journey through the rest of this letter. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, your deep and long and patient and overflowing mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. In view of your mercy, may we give you what you are worth and what Jesus deserves. All that we are, and all that we have for your service, for the good of the world, for the glory of your name. Do this for for us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen.